Hey, good morning, Grant. It's Pastor Rob. Great to see you today. I hope you are enjoying our series on mission, where we kind of walk through the work that God is doing through a number of mission points um, in our world. Some of these are ministries that we fund or are, are connected to financially. Some of these are our missions and ministries that are just representative of what the Lord is doing and wanted to present them and have people have opportunities to hear the many different ways that the Lord is presenting the gospel. This week, though, you're kind of stuck with me. <laughs> you're stuck with me talking about something I think is so important to the mission, and that is the concept of trust. Trust. As followers of Christ, we have to be able to trust in Jesus. Right? We have to trust him, and hopefully if you're a follower of Christ, you have trusted him in many ways, at least with your eternity. You've trusted him that he is who he says he is, that he is God incarnate. You have to trust that he's done what he said he's done. He died for our sins while we were still a mess and still broken and still busted and still deserving of the wages of sin, which is death. Right? You have to trust that he has promised to give us eternal life with him through him and the Father. You have to trust that. Otherwise, it's hard to be considered consider yourself a follower of Christ. Right? Those are basics. But even as Christians who have chosen to trust Jesus with our eternity, sometimes it's hard to trust him with our now. When we're presented with hardships or difficulties or even something that should be as basic as sharing the gospel with others, telling others who Jesus is, which, by the way, is the mission we all have as followers of Christ. It is the mission of the church. The church doesn't exist for the sake of itself. It exists for the sake of the mission. It has a purpose. And without that purpose, it's not really the church. But it's hard sometimes to trust that if I say what I'm supposed to say and do what I'm supposed to do, that it will work out the way it's supposed to. The reason it's hard to do that because sometimes the way it's supposed to work out is not the way I would have it work out if I was making the choice. So ultimately, to trust God in the, in the way we live our life, in the way we handle our finances, in the way we present the gospel, in the way we treat others, to trust that He is working out means giving up control over working it out myself the way I want to work it out. Or what is really the illusion of control because, mental note, secret here, an illusion most of the time. But if we're speaking to someone who does not yet know who Jesus is and has not chosen to follow Jesus and make him their Savior, his Lord, their, make him their Lord and Savior, right? The idea of trusting Jesus with your eternity is pretty foreign stuff. It's hard. It's a hard sell. Bottom line, it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell because inherently, the person we trust the most in our lives is ourselves, right? And if I'm giving up control over something that I am saying that I'm trusting you, in this case, Jesus, with as much control as I have over everything, and ultimately more control, I'm giving it all over to you. And that's a hard thing to do. Again, we're born that way. We kind of really don't trust, inherently trust anybody more than we trust ourselves. If you've ever had to try to have a, a, a 
a logical discussion with a two-year-old <laughs> and try to convince them that your way is better or that you have a different opinion and it's the right one, good luck. They already know that their way is the right way. <laughs> and getting them to change their mind is a bit hard. Well, um, this must be the day of secret information. When we grow up, um, we change some and I hope we improve, but at the end of the day, we're still kind of stubborn, stubbornly holding on to our own perspectives and saying, you need to prove to me that you're right before I'm going to switch, right? You have to prove to me that I'm wrong and good luck doing that. We're kind of close-minded that way because we trust ourselves. But we're also conditioned with, with, by our society to trust no one but ourselves. We are in the midst of a 24-hour news cycle, right, where there's, there's news on what seems like a million internet and cable channels, satellite channels, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, and an extra day in leap year, right? And if they could cram in more, I feel like they would with the 24-hour news cycle is there isn't there aren't that many facts to report there just aren't and the facts aren't all that exciting and excitement is what sells advertisement and so in order to sell advertisement and to sell make more money because at the end of the day we have a 24-hour news cycle because networks have figured out they can make money on it bottom line they create sensationalist headlines, attention grabbers, things that will snag you and pull you in. Sometimes news agencies have been known to report speculation as fact, only to find out later there was no grounds for it. I don't want to say that sometimes we make up news, but sometimes we make up news. Sometimes we make up news. We've also been conditioned by social media to distrust what we see. Videos, I mean, goodness gracious, with, with the advent of things like Photoshop and deep fake technology, if you don't know what that is, Google it. Scary stuff. You can't even trust pictures and videos that you see because they can be pretty credibly manipulated leave us seeing what someone wants us to see rather than truth. And so it's hard to trust that. Sometimes we're conditioned to distrust in our practical relationships, our most important relationships. Maybe it's, it's a spouse that we believe we should be able to trust will not cheat on us, but they have violated that trust. Really, really hard to rebuild trust and your capacity to trust, not just them, but anyone, if you've laid all of your trust into someone and they have burnt it, right? They have flat out burnt it. Some people could say that in their connections with their parents. Maybe they've had parents that they believe they should implicitly trust because every child wants to believe they can trust their parents with their safety and their well-being to always be looking out for them, only to find out that someone had a drug problem, the parent had a drug problem that was eventually result in being more important to them than the child for their child's safety. It happens. It's really hard to learn to trust, right? To give up control to somebody else or something else when you're when that's been burnt. As we get into our text today, 
Jesus and his disciples are dealing really with this trust issue. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. But as, as Jesus is speaking to them, he's at this place called, or, or at this time called the Last Supper. It's traditionally in Christian circles called the Last Supper. It's the, basically the goodbye dinner that Jesus has with his disciples before he is taken prisoner and is hung on the cross for our sins. And he, he's been walking with them for three and a half years. He has taught them. He has slept next to them. He has ate with them. They've been broken bread together. They've seen him do miracle after miracle. They are a very tight-knit bunch, right? The money is only held by one member of, of the group, and all of them trust that this one member with the money will handle it appropriately. They're a tight-knit group. They're close friends. And in the midst of all this, this final dinner with Jesus, he stops to tell them some things. He stops to tell them that, um, hey, by the way, best friends, some of you all are going to turn on me. You're going to break my trust. You're going to violate my trust. One of you is going to sell me out to my enemies for 30 pieces of silver. You're going to make it possible for them to identify me, find me, and take me to prison for 30 pieces of silver. Right? One of them, he says, Peter talks about, you're going to deny me three times, publicly, in less than a day. It's kind of like having someone you think is, is a friend to you in one context, maybe at home or at church or on a sports team or whatever it is, and then when you get to work, they act like they've never met you or they have nothing to do with you or they don't want to be anywhere near you. If I've learned to trust you as a friend, if I've learned to confide things in you, if we've learned to, if we've been doing life together and now you suddenly demonstrate you don't care, you don't like me, or I'm not worthy of your trust, again, that hurts. So Jesus is telling his best friends, you're gonna you you're gonna violate my trust. Now some of them, Peter in particular, says, well, no, 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 that'll never happen. I would never do that. And he does it anyways. In the midst of this Last Supper, he also washes their feet. He takes this time to serve them. And he tells them very clearly in chapter 13, verse 7, that what he's doing, they're not going to fully understand until much later. They're not going to get. But he does it anyways. When really he's the one who needs to be served or should be served. The truth is, these men have put the last three and a half years of everything they have into this man, Jesus. And I say this man because at this point in time, Bob's personal opinion, I don't believe that they knew he was God yet. I believe they think he was a man sent by God, blessed by God, empowered by God to do incredible things. But I don't know if they yet believe that he is God. And so, this man that they've invested all of their hopes and dreams in, most of them have left their jobs, they've left their families on their own as they've gone to serve Christ, they've chosen to relearn everything they think about life, they've chosen to burn bridge after bridge after bridge for the sake of following him. And Jesus tells them, hey, guess what, I'm about to die. 
all these dreams that you had that you thought were coming through me, they're still coming. But it involves me dying on a cross. And so they say to this man, like I think all of us would, okay, so here's the deal. You die. Um, generally, when people die, they don't bring themselves back to life. So <laughs> generally, when you die, your power goes with you. Your blessings go with you. Your dreams go with you. This doesn't make any sense to me, right? And so they're having a lot of difficulty trusting that Jesus is going to take them where he needs them to go. And that brings us to our text, John 14, 1-7. In the midst of all this, as they're going, their heads are spinning and they're going, what's going on? Jesus says to this, says this to them, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. That's verse one. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry about it. I got this. God's got this. I got this. Trust me. Hard sell. Really hard sell. Then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am you may also be. You know the way where I am going. And then Thomas, in verse 5, says what I think I would probably, at gut level, probably say in the midst of this, and I, and I would have to say most of us would too, if we'd chosen to trust him with our future, with our eternity, and things are not going the way we thought they would. He says this in verse 5. He says, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. You're telling me you know where we're going. Uh, this, this, you're not connecting the dots here. This doesn't he says, how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me because I am God. Because that's how he finishes it. You've seen God. I am God. You're getting it? Is it starting to click yet? Is what he's saying to them? Admittedly, still a hard sell, I would imagine. Kind of hard to fathom. This way, this is not going the way I hoped it would go. This is not within my control at all. I can't stop this. I can't change it. I can't influence it. And you're just telling me to trust you. Trust you. It'll be fine. But the truth is, trusting God has been a problem for the people of God since the very beginning. In, in, the, in the book of Exodus, we see, we see them walking across the desert. And they are led by a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night. That, that is the very presence of God, the scripture says, God is present in front of them as a pillar of smoke during the day and a fire at night. He is right there. They're seeing a visible manifestation of God's presence right there, right in front of them. And they still whine and complain every time things don't go the way they want them to go. They still say it'd be better to be a slave back in Egypt than to be released and go to this promised land 
not because they don't think God's capable of taking them there. They've just seen him do amazing things but because it's not working out the way they had hoped. And so they try to reclaim that control and their trust wavers. Throughout the Old Testament, that's really the story of God's people. He demonstrates his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, his consistency, his ability, his power to be there to change lives, to alter human history, to drive things the direction he wants them to go, to deliver them from their greatest hardships. And in the moments when they're not, it's not working out the way they want, they begin to say, I'm not sure I trust you anymore. It's a common problem for God's people. It's a common problem for us as Christians. And it's a common, common problem for the world. It shouldn't be surprising. So even as Christians, it's easy for our hearts to be troubled, right? For us to be concerned or even be afraid in the midst of COVID or, or financial hardship or an, an illness that takes away our ability to do the things we want to do or believe we could do or should do. Man, it's really hard to trust that the outcome will be God's, that it will be good, right? That it will be what it's supposed to be. That it will be holy and perfect and wonderful. Because now, I don't see how you pull that off, God. I don't see how you make that happen. And so trust becomes an issue. And, and, and we feel that way as Christians. We feel that way even though we know something the disciples here did not. Even though we know that Jesus Christ is not just a man, he is God. He is God incarnate. And we know that we have access to something called Holy Spirit. right? This advocate that Jesus later in this chapter would say is better to have around than him. This advocate that will counsel, that will coach, that will challenge and convict, that will help us see what God's desire is and to experience God and to live into trusting him, walking with faith and not by sight, right? Not just trusting only what we see or what we can control, what we can understand. Still, it's hard. But in those, in those times of difficulty, we are called to trust that regardless of what we are experiencing in the moment, that Jesus has secured our eternity, that he's got this under control. He says, look, I, I've, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In fact, there's, and there's plenty of room for all who would call me Lord and Savior, for all who would come to me. I have work to do on your behalf. I'm watching out for you. Trust me, I'm watching out for you. You are my biggest concern right now. And, and even though the disciples, and he's told them, you're going to betray my trust, he's setting himself apart and saying, but I'm not going to betray yours. And I know it's hard, and it's probably hard because you struggle with it yourself. Peter and John and Andrew and James and Thomas and all of them, you struggle this with this yourself. But I'm not going to let down, let you down. I'm not going to violate your trust. I'm telling you. I've been telling you for three and a half years. This is how this is going to work out. That I've got this under control. 
You don't need to worry about controlling it. You just need to move with it and trust me. Walk in faith. I have a house of many rooms. I'm preparing that space myself, right? You can trust me. I've laid my eyes on it. I've seen it. I'm making it happen. Right? You can trust that, yes, I'm going to go away for a minute. When I come back, I'm going to take you upon myself. Heather and I just got a dog. Our whole family did. We just got a puppy. Her name is Ginger. And she is wonderful on a thousand levels and a reminder of small children on other levels. And then you better hide your shoes or anything she thinks she can chew on because it's probably gone. Right? It's a done deal. But one of the things I love about dogs in general is that when you come home from work, let's say you leave them for a couple of hours, when you come home, they act like they thought you had abandoned them forever. And you are the greatest sight of their lives. Their tails start wagging, they're jumping up and down, they're excited to see you. Well, the marked difference between dogs and cats, right? Cats are kind of like, oh, you're back? It's good to know. When's dinner? Right? <laughs> Dogs are like, yeah, what's up? You're back. I can't believe it. I thought you were going forever. Sometimes. And I think the disciples right now are thinking, you're going to prepare this place. You say, you're going to go die. You're going to be gone forever. Because people don't bring themselves back to life. Right? You're gone forever. And he's trying to say them to them, no, I will be back. When I come back, you're going to rejoice. It's going to blow your mind, and I'm going to take you with me, right? And you know the way, he says to them. You know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Keep following me. And Thomas is like, okay, you tell me I know the way, but trusting the way, that's a different ballgame. That's a very different ballgame. Because there's a huge difference in, in our lives between what's going on here and what's going on here. Um, I think it's probably in some ways I've heard described as the longest distance <laughs> in the human body, the difference between the mind and the heart. It's very different to know something and very different to believe it with all of who you are and to trust it. Right? Sometimes that's for very good reason, otherwise you're gullible. Sometimes, in, in the case of the gospel, to our own detriment. And to the disciples, it's to their own detriment. As they're letting fear guide them. Right? But Jesus is calling us as the people of God to live in such a way that we truly have made that connection between head and heart. That we truly do trust that where he has us going is where we are supposed to go. Unfortunately, the only way to prove that out is to give him the opportunity to be trusted, to demonstrate himself trustworthy, to give up control, not begrudgingly like we do with a bridge, but wholeheartedly say, you know what, you can do this better than me. You can run my life better than me. You can control my eternity way better than me. You can determine everything better than I can. That's a hard sell.
but it is a necessary step if we are to truly experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And if we are to walk as he wants us to walk, if we are to see what he sees and do what he would have us do, some of the ways we can demonstrate that or try to grow that trust in Jesus um, is to remind ourselves that Jesus served his disciples at the Last Supper, he served, served them regardless of how they were going to respond. Right? As I said, he told them, one of you is going to sell me out. One of you is going to deny me. But I'm going to serve you anyways. Their response didn't determine whether or not he believed serving was the right thing to do. And Jesus calls us to do the same thing. He calls us to serve without prejudice. And when I say prejudice, I mean without a pre, without allowing our preconceived notions that someone will or will not accept our service as a determining factor. Sometimes we have difficulty saying, I'm going to serve you even if I think you're going to misuse that service or if you're going to be ungrateful for it or if you're going to... Um, do something nefarious with the funds that I give you to serve you to help you buy bread. You're going to go buy alcohol or something like that. It's an argument I hear often times, especially around panhandlers, right? That are trying to survive. And they say, I'm not giving that guy money. He's going to go buy liquor with it anyways. Frankly, Jesus served the disciples and served us knowing that some of us weren't going to listen either. So he served regardless of their response, regardless of the outcome he served, because it was the godly call on his life. Right? He served because for those who would listen, we needed it. And it was worth it to him. And our call is to serve others in the same way, regardless of how they might respond. Another way that Jesus demonstrates and that we can demonstrate that we trust him in the way we live our lives is to love others regardless of whether or not we agree with them. Because that reminds us that not only are they not perfect, because clearly if they don't agree with me, they're not perfect, right? <laughs> it should also remind us that we're not perfect, because oftentimes we don't do things that are in agreement with what God would have us do. We're not perfect either. A professor at college name was Flavel Yaker. Never forget Flavel. He was full of funny stories. But Flavel said once, he goes, you know, I've only known one perfect Christian in my entire life. Only one. Um, then I made my first mistake this morning. And it was a poke, right? It's an obvious poke at, at the fact that none of us are perfect. And we need to recognize that we are all broken. We all have what I would call a serious case of ocular planktitis. Look that up. It's a great one. But loving others, whether or not we agree with them, whether or not we approve of them and their choices, Jesus loved us enough to die for us while we were still sinners. Romans 5.8. To die for us while we were still sinners. So he clearly didn't approve of what we were doing. He still didn't clearly didn't uh, appreciate it. Clearly didn't want it to continue. And he chose to do it anyways. He loved us enough to die for us 
even though he didn't agree with us. If we are walking and loving others regardless of whether or not we agree with them, that allows us to live and act with grace and mercy and the compassion that Jesus has shown us as followers of Christ. That's what it means to trust him, that his way really is the better way. And if we really trust Jesus, we begin to live we begin to live as though our eternal dwelling, that the, the house of many rooms that he has personally laid eyes on, that he has personally prepared and that he has promised he will take us to, we need, it means living in such a way that we know it is secured. Because if our eternal dwelling is secured, then it's easier to do things like make sacrifices in the here and now because we know our eternity is under control. Right? I'll give a little now to his cause because I know he's got me six ways from Sunday. He's got me covered all over. It makes it easier to pick up our cross and follow him as Jesus tells all of his disciples they will need to do. Not just a few of them, all of us. Because then we don't need to depend upon ourselves to heal us, to care for us, to love us, to watch over us. We, we remember that he has got that all under control. When we trust that our eternal dwelling is secured in him, then we can endure life's trials because as horrible as they feel in the moment, they really are temporary. They really, really are. And allows us to see the proverbial silver lining in all things. It allows us to be a blessing onto others rather than a burden. It allows us to look past the difficulty to be the light that we are called to be. And living as though our eternal dwelling is secured with Jesus, as, as he tells his disciples here, means we can share the good news of the gospel with courage, knowing that regardless of how it's received, or regardless of the consequences it has on our lives, because the truth is, it will. Jesus made it abundantly clear. He didn't say following me is sometimes difficult. He says it always is. He didn't say following me means you will never be persecuted. In fact, he kind of implied comes with territory, right? But following him and telling people about him, if we really trust that he is everything he says he is, then we can live with the courage to tell others of who he is regardless of what the outcome is. And, and can I just tell you, as a follower of Christ, we are sorely lacking in that department. We are sorely lacking in our willingness to openly tell people who Jesus is, to introduce him to them, to remind them that they are beautifully and wonderfully made, they are created through Jesus Christ, right? that he died for their sins while they were still sinners, out of love, that he has called them into healing and called them into eternity with him, that he's, and he is providing and is providing a counselor for them, a coach for them, strength for them, love for them, that he is the personification of God and of all things good because God is all things good. God is love. He is the personification of those things. 
we are sorely lacking in telling the world who our Savior is. And it shouldn't be surprising to us that if we can't trust Jesus in the midst of our challenges, and we can't trust Jesus enough to carry us as we're telling people the gospel, then how in the world will we expect anyone else to trust him? I pray that this message will encourage you and that it will strengthen you. And then honestly, I hope it pushes all of our buttons and reminds us whose we are and who we serve. Many blessings to you. Take care.